Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning. Just depending on what part of the world you are listening, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is so good to be back. I am Will Green, your co-host for your show this evening, Dysfunctional by, by Design, every Wednesday so far. Every Wednesday night here on Blog Talk Radio, it is so good to be back here. I missed you all last week. If we were all standing in front of each other, I would greet you with namaste. So at this time, I will still send out a greeting of namaste, good evening, good afternoon, oh, good morning. I'm just so excited. Let me share this with you. This is about how excited I am. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 what day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Whoop, whoop, indeed. Welcome, everybody, welcome. This is Dysfunctional by Design on Blog Talk Radio. You're broken down and tired. Living life on the merry-go-round And you can't find a fighter But I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out Move, mountain We gon' walk it out and move, mountain night, Wednesday night is upon us again. And again, I'm so glad to be back. Uh, another episode here at Dysfunctional by Design. Again, I'm your co-host, Will Green, along with my dad, who we're going to bring in momentarily. I just wanted to, again, just express my, uh, man, so many emotions, uh, happiness, appreciation, gratitude, uh, a, li- a little guilt even for missing last week, but um, it was such a phenomenal show last week. I, I'm just guilty I missed it. Man. It was all kind of stuff coming on. I can't wait till Dad comes on and we get to talk about last week. Uh, if you did miss last week's show, please go back and check it out. So many uh, quote-unquote jewels that were left. And hopefully uh, Daddy-O will be bringing in some more. And speaking of bringing in some more, uh, Without further ado, I guess we will go ahead and bring in uh, the co-host for this evening, my dad. Some of you know him as Uncle Bill. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) UB. And 
and all kind of other names, you know, uh, yeah, I probably don't kind. even know about. <laughs> <Yeah>. All kinds. <laughs> Some we don't need to repeat. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, for both of us, for both of us. <laughs> hey, Wilfredo, man, welcome back, man. Man. Good to be back. You know, Good to be back. By the time last week's show ended, I was a, a puddle of sweat. <laughs> man, don't do that to me again, man. <laughs> that, was, that was, you know, you know. I, I told it, people would ask me. I said, "Yeah, it was fun, but it wasn't fun until nine oh one." After that bad boy was over with, man, you know. But um, you hit that really, last man. button. Yeah, yeah. You were, you were, um, you were most definitely missed. And at the same time, I think I mentioned to you, someone made the comment that so was your voice. Um, people, well, at least some have told me that your voice is a voice of calm. <laughs> so I guess that means I'm, my voice is a voice of, of rat-a-tat agitation. <laughs> I don't know. But all I know is uh, you do bring calm to me, man. So, um, you know, it's it's great having you back, man. Wow, wow, again, you know, gratitude, thank you. That's awesome. You know, this is uh every every week it's it's something new and it's it's always amazing no matter what it is. Um and even not, not even being here not even being here last week and listening to the show as a replay. Um man, I mean I I it was I kept rewinding and listening, like did I hear that right? And I'm got notes and quotes and speaking of notes and quotes ladies and gentlemen yeah. just jump in uh, um we we always suggest uh here on our shows that if you have pen and pad or pencil and paper or even a crayon handy uh something you might want to write with take notes questions anything you know um worth mentioning and anything that you you have to bring with us is always worth mentioning um especially if we don't always have to use a thousand words i guess <laughs> that, that, that's a little smack that. down. <laughs> let me <laughs> let me put this jab in. Dude, uh, I, got, I got it. I was, I got I was it. talking about both of us. What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> hey, well, man, that was earlier, funny, whatever, man. whatever. That was, man, I tell you, you're an amazingly creative person, man. That was, that that had me rolling, man, the way you had that, uh, Mike, 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 Mike. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea you were going to do that, man. Fantastic. That was my little surprise for you, man. Uh, yeah, just to, pretty you know, cool. Glad to be back, and thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. So I thought you oh, did. Absolutely, absolutely, man. You know, so um, any comments, any questions, any thoughts? You know, anything at all you want to throw out there? You know, that might be bo- bouncing around in your head. Since you've been gone oh, for a minute? Man, um well, you know, I guess primarily it's always just the state of education um here in our country, you know, that's always running around in my head. Uh, uh yeah. just Tuesday, uh Chicago Public Schools started their official first day. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, Man, my kid started like weeks ago. <laughs> Excuse me, my child started weeks ago, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. yeah, but, um, you know, so it's just always, you know, the state of education and how people are doing, you know, how is their, how is their sanity and the things we talk about, how's your mental, how's your spirit, how's your body um, dealing through these changes and 
in this world of COVID, you know, the same the, the same things we're all, you know, dealing with. But sometimes we don't talk about it. But we do here Wednesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. That's right. But that's been about it. You know, that's 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 been about it. Um, you know, so it's that's that's just what's been on my mind. I, actually, I haven't even uh, really been into what's happening with you know with uh, your boy and and those other people and Dracula and them and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Will's referring to uh, the 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 the, the um, vice president. I call him Dracula. Yeah, he just he looks like Dracula to me. <laughs> he just uh, you know, and of course the other dude he's talking about is the Great Pumpkin. You know, that big old orange dude. You know, so just so you know, I don't want y'all to feel like you know you're left out of the end jokes. It's I'm just, sorry. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah, this yeah. whole Dracula thing is hilarious, and I didn't know if you. Well, I guess we could share it, man. That is hilarious. Coming out the I mean, hills of Indiana. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're old enough, man, but there used to be on this TV show called Garfield Goose. And on the TV show, they had this cartoon character called Clutch Cargo. And the, the, the whole cartoon of Clutch Cargo was that you would see the drawing of the characters, uh, like, you know, um, let's see, what was it? Uh, I can't remember the names of them now. But the only things that would move would be the lips. So mm-hmm. it was almost like, you know, like it was a cutout. And so it was just lips yeah. moving, but the, the drawing of the face stayed stationary. And every time I see Pence talk, he reminds me of Clutch Cargo. You know, it's just the lips moving. Yeah, there's no other expression going on, man. But, you know, that's, that's just me. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I remember Clutch Cargo. Uh, I yeah. remember, you know, catching that when I was growing up. That just that every yeah. time, man. You know, it doesn't matter That's if funny, it's, you he, know. He got the white Go hair and everything like Clutch Cargo. I never noticed yeah. that before. I yeah. just pulled I it up. I about that. That's right. That's right. That's, you know, you just act. Yeah. That's right, you know, and I don't care if there are bombs going on around them or if there's naked ladies dancing in front of them. Nothing changes. The only thing is his mouth just moves. You know, there's nothing else happening, man. Like, man, <laughs> yeah. Clutch, go oh, boy, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, wow, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just just to tune into or get into the swing of things for tonight. Last week, um, a lot of time, most of the time, was dedicated to the idea of talking on the topic of the psychology of healing and wellness um, from a black or an Afrocentric perspective. But it does no good to give an Afrocentric perspective about um, the psychology of healing if we don't know what the psychology of healing stipulates from a Eurocentric perspective. You know, so we have something to compare it to, which, of course, is not what humanistic psychology has done. There is no comparative. The only comparatives are the um, those who come in for the various forms of therapy, but not the therapy that itself designed to meet the particular needs of non-European clients, you know, and um, in America, I think that's a, that's a travesty, you know, that's a travesty of care um, to, to just take the, oh yeah, by the way approach when you're dealing with a non-European client, you know, that, that somehow the suggestion is, these are the values or behaviors or attitudes that you should have 
that we're going to use to study you. And so whatever method of care we design is going to be based on what we've decided the characteristics of you should already be. And if, in fact, you don't match up behaviorally to those characteristics, it's because of something that you're manipulating in your presentation to the psychologists of care. In other words, what Eurocentric psychology is telling a black client when they come into treatment that if you don't perform based on Eurocentric values so we can accurately assess your issues, then you have not put to rest your defense mechanisms. So if you haven't researched me and I come into your care and you don't acknowledge the fact that you don't know anything about me and you just want me to show up like my white male counterpart, then you've already decided if I fail to do that with whatever workup you do on me, then I got an attitude. And your job then is to assess what type of defense mechanisms I'm using. So you don't even give me a chance to show you who I am because you don't like the way I show up because I'm not showing up within that, that, that test tube that you've studied. You know, mm-hmm. And so what then is the psyche of a black client, male or female? You know, what then is you know, the uh, norms of a black client, male or female? What then are even the stages, whether they be the psychosexual stages of development that Freud talked about or the psychosocial stages of human development that Erickson talked about? You know, what does that mean for people of color in America in general, but black folk in particular? And I'm saying black folk in particular because this is a black show. <laughs> yeah, so so that, that's, that's where my focus is. And that's also where my concern is. That's really where my greater concern is. I've been, I had, I'm retired now, but I had been a counselor, a substance abuse uh, counselor or chemical dependency counselor or an addictions counselor or an alcoholism counselor or a, a drug counselor, whatever counselor you want to call me. I was that for 39 years. And in all the time that um, I worked in that profession, the one thing became more and more apparent to me that black folks are only just now beginning to show up. You know, what I mean by that, I mean we're only just now really beginning to reveal who we really are. And what I mean by who we really are, I mean based on our time and grade, based on our time in, 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 in being relatively uh, visible in American society since slavery, you know, so we're only talking about ooh, maybe, you know, um, 150, 160 years. You know, we're only just now beginning to show up, up, up with a pattern of, of recognized behavior amongst our own. And um, that, of course, is a stereotype when it comes to Hollywood, but it's a language. It's a behavior and it's an identified attitude that we amongst ourselves are beginning to recognize. So we have our own language when assessing our issues. But, you know, Wilfredo, I, I probably need to quit calling you Wilfredo. <laughs> People go stop thinking that's your real name. <laughs> that's, my, that's my nickname for y'all. <laughs> no wonder he just said Will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that rest of it don't fix that fit in that little bitty box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, where, where was I? Who knows, right? Um, the, 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 I was raised, uh, you weren't so much. You know, things kind of became a little bit tame, a little bit calmer when you were growing up, you know. But I was raised, you know, and those of my generation were pretty much raised under the three-rule approach, the belt, the Bible, you know, and and um, I forgot the third one. What was the third one? <laughs> the, the belt, you know, the Bible and the church. That's pretty much how we were raised, you know. And, um, well, first of all, because there was no such thing as, you know, as, as therapy, you know, for those of my generation because it was unheard of for my parents' generation. So the belt, the Bible, and the church was how we were disciplined how we were dealt with, and how we were expected to perform. So the belt, first of all, you know, that's a weapon. You know, I mean, we can call it whatever we want and give it some term of endearment, but it's a weapon. You know, it's something that you put in your hand to disperse pain. That's the point. So what's the difference? And I'm asking you this question, Will, if you want to reflect on it for a second. Tell me, um, psychologically or inherently, What's the difference between a belt and a whip? Any thoughts? Um, uh, the difference between a belt and a whip. Yeah. What do you oh, think the difference? Oh. Do you think there's a difference between a belt and a whip psychologically for some? So for some black child, uh, man, I never. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about then. Uh, maybe like consequences, the immediacy of uh, cause and effect, if you will. Uh, the whip may take time, but the belt come quicker kind of thing. Um, yeah, but I guess what I'm talking about, you're going deeper than I meant. I mean, um, okay. symbolically, you know, the whip used in slavery, the belt used in post-slavery for a child, you know, what what's the experience? I mean, psychologically or maybe even from a post-traumatic stress perspective. The whip being used by the slave master for a means of control, you know, or not just the child, but the, the, the population in general. And the belt, you know, it's the first, you know, thing that my generation used to tame, tame, uh, tame our behavior. So it's still yeah. that, that consequence, that, that carryover. That's how I'm seeing it. You know, whether it's meaningful, effective or not, is not my point. The point I'm making, using the whip and the belt as the comparative, is both were used as a means of control. My point about that, though, is what was the effect on the slave, man, woman, or child, who was whipped? And what is the effect on the black child who's beat or, 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 or whipped with a belt? You know, is there any psychological damage, any different? Well, we can't know that unless we do some kind of, of course study to see. But I'm like, curious lady made a comment about the one thing is that they both are cruel and abrasive, you know, right. abusive rather. And, and, you know, some people would argue, but, you know, it's discipline. So it's not meant to be cruel and abusive. Well, it was sure meant to be cruel and abusive when you were whipped as a slave. You know, how does the body differentiate between a whip, a, a whip and a belt? You know, how do we justify, because we're not the slave master, we can then say, oh, well, this is used for discipline. 
Um, and my black child will understand I'm not their, their slave master. Well, does the child know the difference? <laughs> you know, you, 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 as a child and as an adult slave, you don't get to talk back. You know, you don't get to, you know, you don't, you don't get to fight back. You just submit yourself to this, this form of um, abuse. You know, and as far yeah. as the master was concerned, it was meant to be discipline, keep you in your place, teach you a lesson whatever the consequences for your behavior. Well, you know, does the black child have the ability as a child to differentiate? The only difference is, you know, black father, black mother, and black child aren't all being beaten with the belt at the same time. You know, so I, I'm not necessarily saying I'm against the idea of some form of discipline that, maybe will require a belt or whatever the case may be. But what I am saying is I don't agree with the idea that that's the only approach or that's the first line of approach or that's the approach that needs to be done when all else seems to fail. No, you know, I'm saying it's an option that one may choose to use, but I'm not sold on the idea that it's one that's necessary. Now, I, I whipped you, right, once, I think. Or once, do you have a once. different it was a it was the worst seven days, one of the worst seven days growing up ever. <laughs> um, like well, seven days. Oh, my God. Like, he he beat like... him for seven days? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. You got to explain that because it's the worst seven days. It's like one whipping that lasted seven days. No, y'all. So, you know, explain that, man. Yeah, it was the seven days leading up. And I don't remember what grade I was in, maybe middle school. Yeah, probably middle school because we were walking from St. Clotel. Uh, oh, yeah. Back to your crib in Chatham, and so even just the walk to school and the walk back home from school was 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 <laughs> rough, you know. But I think it was report card pickup or something like that, and um, or something a parent conference. But anyway, you know, I was disruptive. Uh, I was my behaviors was disrupting the class, and so you you found out a lot of things that was happening with me, even though I told you things was fine in school. Pretty much I was lying right. to you. Right. And, um, you know, so, you know, you was cool. You was like, okay. So the teacher was just telling you all this stuff. But, you know, more and more they were talking to you, the colder and colder the room was getting. <laughs> <laughs> you just nodded your head. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I might be in trouble. So anyway, um, so that evening, you know, I'm back. Well, let me inter- let talk. me interject something right quick, just yeah. so you have some inside skinning. Because what you didn't hear in the classroom or at the time of confrontation with, uh, I think it was the school disciplinarian or the, the assistant principal, when I was down in the office, she said, "You know, Mr. Green, that's 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 fine and well and good how you talk to your son, like you say to him, you know, man, and you know that's not acceptable behavior." She said, all that, you know, all that talk is fine, you know. She said, but there comes a time when that talk doesn't work and you need to consider alternative methods. She said, have you ever spanked him? And I said, no. She said, well, I want you to consider that as an alternative method. <laughs> so when, when me and you got back together, that's what was in my mind, what she had put in there. So go ahead with your story, man. Um. Yeah, so that evening, um, we we talked about what they told you, and, you know, you asked me questions and all these things, and um, 
you was like you you told me to give you you was going to give me like seven days or something like that to give you a reason why I shouldn't get a get a get an ass whooping. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that's if that's a, the language that you use, but I mean, no, I, 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 I want to make sure I want to yeah, I want to make sure that 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 yeah I said yeah, spanking. yeah what exactly I said spanking <laughs> spanking <laughs> whoop your ass. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you weren't yeah. gonna give me no spanking. I already knew that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> it's a yeah, difference. He said the belt of the whip. I mean, spanking it anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I and you know, I I think I came up with something. I don't remember what BS I even spilled out my mouth, man. Yeah. Um, you know, and and. Some discipline, you know, and and order came into place, you know. And, yeah. and when we talk about when we talk about, um, you know, growing up and and catching the belt or things like that and getting a whooping, um, the one thing that that I can appreciate growing up, and it was I guess it was difficult for me to answer it because, um, whatever happened, there was always dialogue, right? You know. Um, it wasn't like yes, I just got, you know, like, okay, you was bad. I'm going to snatch you up. Let's go. Bah, 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 and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there was still dialogue about what happened. Now, rather it was communicated, not, I think it was because I'm talking about it. Um, but whether, whatever the intention was, I think that was one of the things that I grew up with, that even though I did get these spankings and whoopings, um, there was dialogue. And again, right. I may not have wanted to have that dialogue, you know, because I'm sitting there suffering, you know, booties on fire, legs on legs on fire, maybe because I'm trying to get away. I don't know. <laughs> Dog barking at me. <laughs> but um, but there was always dialogue, and and I think that's one of the things um, that was that you know when people talk about it now, they be like. Uh, somebody posted something one time, and it's like a Jeopardy question. You know, Alex, give me, give me, you know, what is why you get a whooping at home? You know, basically you talk mm-hmm. about the things that that brings a whipping, a whooping, a whooping at home. Mm-hmm. You know, and most a of whoop. the time it was just about most of the time it was just about being respectful, being in order. Um, you know, not bringing unnecessary attention to yourself or others around you kind of the lessons that we talk about now, but the way that it was taught, I guess, you know, was a little harsh, I guess, at sometimes. Because I had to pull up when I was when Jackson was growing up, you know. I had to I had to pull yeah. up for a second. Like, I can't be just whipping on him because maybe he's different or something like that, you know. But I, but I knew that that wasn't the way to go about, you know, getting the point across or discipline or something like that. Am I making sense? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, making sense is not the point. You know, telling the story is. Yeah, man, it doesn't require approval. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I'm feeling you all the way. You know, um, but go ahead. Go ahead. Don't let me take you off stride. No, so um, I was just, just, just saying the thing is, is that I've just learned to, you know, in working in the school system, I've seen where, you know, children behave in a certain way, and, and I can see how they relate. <clears throat> with security or how they relate to the, the the lunch ladies or even some counselors, you know, not necessarily the teachers and stuff like that, but people they can immediately trust. And then they go home 
And and even though with these people they trust their school, they talk about the problems. But when they get home, there is no talking, there is no communicating. You know, mm-hmm. so then it's just it's just a a, a, a whooping, a butt whooping, you know, or whatever works or whatever. You know, mentally, not even physically, it could be something mental too. You know, but I've seen where there isn't a lot of communication, there isn't a lot of discussion, an opportunity for the child to learn, or even for the parent to learn. You know, Mom, I'm doing this because I feel like this and I'm acting out. You know, a lot of kids, right. a lot of children are more in touch with the stuff they go on around them, but they just don't know how to communicate it. But they can't even do it if they're not even given the opportunity to communicate. Right. And I think that was yeah. one of the blessings that I had growing up. And But, it, but it, that does not suggest, though, that um, – how you grew up means that you were free of, of conflict or, or issues or, 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 or problems in life either, you know, but it's not a bad way to approach life situations when you have love under your belt, you know, as, as opposed to abuse, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, just again, reflecting back on the, on one of the, concepts of of psychology you know existential psychology you know teaches that um if a child is loved and valued the adult child will be able to love and value others the child will mature feeling capable intelligent and well-intentioned the adult child will also feel a sense of accomplishment in a successful undertaking you know she or he will endeavor to meet life on life's terms with enthusiasm and confidence, reaping the rewards of a life lived in harmony with the self. If, however, a child is taught to feel less than an equal part of the greater whole, and that's where my issue of minority comes into play. You know, mm-hmm. think of it if, a, if, however, a child is taught to think of him or herself as a minority, you know, then later in life she or he will enter any adventure, you know, expecting to fail. You know, anytime you're lesser than you're greeted in the world as being something lesser than the greater whole, you're already operating at a deficit. And that's what I mean by, you know, expecting to fail. Fail in itself means not achieving the ultimate goal, falling short. Well, that's what minorities suggest, you know, that you're something lesser than the greater. So whatever you achieve is not going to be of equal status. To me, that is the great, you know, misnomer and the great, you know, debacle of, of us calling ourselves minorities. You know, this adult uh, child. Can, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I had to um, I, I, just listening to what you're saying made me think about what you said last week. And hopefully I'll quote you correctly about making the sacrifice to find the essence of what uh, that which returns us to balance. And you mentioned this in talking about functional schizophrenia or being a minority, I believe. Um, does, does that ring a bell? I think you had yeah, touched well, on that Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right a, now. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that was that's amazing. That's what I'm talking about. Amazing. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah the, 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 you know, functional schizophrenia. See, most people don't understand. All right, I'm, 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 I'm going off page again. Most people don't understand, <laughs> you know, what the basics of, of um, schizophrenia is, uh, that, that the the raw definition of it, most people think is like a, a, a split personality. No, no, no. It's it's that kind of – now, think of it from a black perspective, and maybe it'll make a little bit more sense. 
It's like having within you an understanding of how things are supposed to be. But then having a, a stronger recognition of how you perceive things to be, and then from that perception saying, but if I act the way they expect me to be, then I'll be treated accordingly. But that's not how I really feel it, because how I feel it is to act in a way that, from their estimation, would be the wrong way. So it's the conflict is within the self. Should I perform to your expectations of me, which would give me a just reward, or should I should I behave toward my expectations of me, which is already perceived as being negative, which I understand that that's how you perceive me. So it does no good for me to act that way because I already know in acting that way, I will not be received. So I have to try to act in a way that you want me to act, even though that way may be conceived as being the correct way. My way, my way although I recognize as being the wrong way, but it's who I really am, you know, would not allow me to be who I want to be. That's that craziness, you know, that I think brothers deal with all our lives, trying to figure out not just what expectations are and not just trying to figure out what punishments would be, but trying to figure out how it is that I really assess myself to be and how that assessment fits in this outside world that dictates to me how to behave. You know, it, it, it's the heart. I think it's, I think, first of all, I think all brothers deal with a, a form of functional schizophrenia, but it's all but impossible when you don't have any say so about how you're going to be treated. And all you know is that everything that you see suggests nothing but something negative, and, and, and at some point, except that that's what I am, just a negative. You know, that's what I'm familiar with. The treatment of being a negative, that's what I'm used to, always having to perform to meet someone else's expectations and hating to have to perform that way. But if I try to be who you are, then at least I'll be judged adequately. That's a functional schizophrenia right there, thinking that the way I am and the way I know and the way I'm used to is not going to give me anything but negative results. But trying to be the way you are, even though I have no idea how to be the way you are, but try to mimic your behaviors to reach that plateau of acceptance is what I'll strive to be. So I'll deny everything about me, regardless of how that's viewed by the outside world, and try to be you, even though within me, the you is what I hate more than me. You know, that's what, you know, in my estimation, so many brothers are having to deal with, you know, consciously, and not just with white America, but with black America too, and especially in relationships, you know, um, with whatever that, you know, significant other choice is, whether male or female, you know, however that, you know, work, you know breaks down. We're, all, we're always trying to figure it out, but never allowed to define how it really is, you know, because that's the part that no one has ever bothered to listen to, you know, and None of us were born of enlightened parents, so none of us, therefore, you know, just like our parents and our parents' parents and your son who's going to be a parent one day, you know, none of us were, were given a model 
of normalcy. So normalcy is something that is based on rewards, you know, external rewards, whatever the controlling faction of society is. That's what we strive to achieve, you know, in some kind of acceptance of uh, a value system dictated by, you know, the patriarchal or white male European system. You know, and I know when I say words like white male or European, right away, you know, people think of, of race division. No, I'm talking about the reality of perceived values. America is structured, America as we know it, you know, not, not indigenous people America, but America as we know it is, is designed by the values of white males. They're the ones who wrote the Constitution. There wasn't no women involved. There wasn't no black folks involved. There wasn't no Indians involved. That was all these, you know, and, 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 and these dudes were really, why I keep saying European, because that's, you know, they were from Europe. <laughs> they weren't born in America, you know. They themselves were colonialists, you know. So, you know, a value system developed in America from a foreign land, but only with their values of, of rebellious behavior in mind. We don't even get to be that. We're raised to be docile, to be quiet, to be tame, to be invisible. That was born from slavery. Why were we taught to do that by our mamas and our daddies? Because we know to raise our voice would be to raise the ire of the master, and maybe we'd be, getting, we'd be let off light by getting a whipping, but there were chances that we could be killed or sold, family break up. So the only thing mama could do, because daddy couldn't do it, because daddy couldn't show any affection toward his family, else the master would let him know who really runs this family. You know, all mama could do was to teach, especially the male child, how to contain it, you know, how to be quiet, how to be docile, you know, how to control those feelings of, of hurt, of anger, whatever the case may be. You know, but we don't talk in terms of that when we deal with the outside world. You know, we act like slavery has never had a, a negative effect on the development of our consciousness. So when I start looking at all of these different themes of psychology and the, and the idea of, of who's, who's the architect behind the methods of, of, of psychiatric um, approaches toward the or psychoanalysis, you know, my only question is then, who have they researched in order to strengthen their method of care? And if I don't find my name anywhere in there, how can I assume my attitudes and behaviors are therefore going to show up? You know, there's going to be an assumption. And the assumption is just here. Let me, what is the assumption? Let me use the best, the best um, assumption I can make. All familiar with Black Lives Matter, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And what is almost always the negative reaction to Black Lives Matter? All lives matter. And right. that negative reaction to Black Lives Matter and saying all lives matter is saying what? Is it saying that, you're? Go ahead. Is saying what? Oh, that you're promoting segregation and things like that. Yeah, um, in, in essence, what I, you know, like it's like when you tell me when I'm saying black, all lives matter, and when you say to me white, all lives matter. What you're saying is 
What do you what do you mean black lives matter like you somebody special? All lives matter, and I'm saying all lives matter because what I'm saying is black lives don't really matter. All lives matter. What do you mean black lives matter? You don't get to be a part of all lives matter. All lives matter means everybody. Black lives matter means just you. You know, you don't get to make that separation or that, you know, that, that um, difference. We do. So when I say all lives matter, yeah, that includes you, but it includes you based on how I see you in the perspective of all lives matter. Don't be trying to single yourself out because you, you're not white. You know, and, and so what is happening at this reaction is like I don't have the right to be individual, individualized or individuated. I, therefore, I don't have the right to be self-actualized. That means I can't ever be actualized. That means all I can be in all lives matter is whatever category of all lives you place me in based on your perception of who I am. That's what is being said when that argument of all lives matter is being thrown about. It's saying I do not have the right to make a difference about me being different than you. Only you get to do that. And the way you do it is by saying I'm just a part of a, a minority piece of the bigger picture. And don't ever think of yourself as being anything more than a minority piece. How dare you? You are sure. once and for all a minority. You are not the majority. So all lives is bigger than you. That's all I'm being told, man. Yeah. You know, that that's and that's that mindset that is ingrained since, you know, the onset of American democracy as we know it. It's the ingrained sense, the definition of being three-fifths of a man if I'm any part black. You know, so right from the inception, I was something lesser than the greater whole. And the greater whole had the total say-so about how I fit in. You know, always that piece and never the pie. When I say black lives matter, I'm talking about the pie. When you say all lives matter, you're talking about the peace. You know, and I'm saying I'm tired of just being a piece. I want to be the pie. I want you to see me as being the whole thing and not this little piece that you designated that I get a right to thrive in. This is the argument that white America cannot see. You know, even liberal white America doesn't understand that. Oh, yeah, they, you know, they, uh, they respond accordingly because the liberalism dictates that they must. So they say, yeah, black lives matter. But what they really want to say is, yeah, black lives matter too. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, but, but they're, they're not going to support the idea that black lives matter, you know, as if that's equal status, you know, equal in everything said and done, equal in how it's even dispersed in the media, that black lives matter. So every time I'm a white person talking about any of the issues that are involved in black people, I have to acknowledge how much I know and how much I don't know and then apologize for whatever I'm saying if it's offensive to you because of my ignorance about the particular issues that you're talking about. And liberal white media will never do that, you know, because it doesn't know how to do that, because it doesn't understand what the psyche of black America really is. It thinks just like the dominant um, American Eurocentric culture does think that minority is not exclusive, that minority is inclusive. 
So that means, and that's my example I love to use, that me and LeBron James are of equal status. <laughs> Neither, you know, we both minorities. <laughs> you know, I got a hard time with that. <laughs> you know, you know, let me let me let let me have a piece of his minority then. You know, it's like no, you know, it's how I can always how I can look at you that way because that's how I can justify, you know, you not being able to be all the coaches in the NBA or all the black owner or all the owners. I'm not going to look at you as equal status because I'm still going to count the number of black coaches and black owners in sports. I'm not going to look at you as equal status because that might mean then that, especially in something dominated by black males, like and the, the black males and black females, whether it's the NBA or the WNBA, if done proportionately, that would mean black folks should be running the NBA and the WNBA. You know, and it shouldn't even be a question about that. But of course there is, because the value system is based on, you know, the white approach. You know, that's what makes minority and majority work. You know, that's what makes it work in what's supposed to be a democratic society. If this was a democratic society where all were created equal, then we wouldn't even be looking at quotas or percentages or numbers, you know. We will be looking at, you know, um, um, capability and, and, and ability, you know, and, and functionality. And, 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 and the, rewar- the reward system would be fair. It would be equal, yeah. you know. Um, it wouldn't be, you know, a, a, a question because there would be no need for that question, you know, not in a democratic society of all b- being created equal. But all were created equal based on their values. You know, we got in the way of that, and we still get in the way of that. And I think that's why, above everything else, why it's harder on black folk than any other um, culture of color, because we're like a reflection of the consciousness of white America. We're the guilt trip. You know, we're the issue that just simply cannot be resolved by their own values. They're actually going to have to let us dictate what it would take for us to be uh, what it would take for them to be um, um, excused or exonerated. They can't do that. They can't do no. that with their own. How are they going to do it with us who have never been represented, but they can't do it with their own? Their laws have them confused about how to treat each other. They don't have that problem when it comes to us. They can bend the rules any way they want. But when it comes to them, they know all the loopholes. They know the ins and outs. You got this great pumpkin sitting in the in the White House. He sits on top of the rules. He dictates the policies because he he has he has extended his authority over the courts. You know he hasn't. You know he has truly made um, 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 justice blind, blind to the obvious that this is the most corrupt form of government we've ever known. Those things have to be things taken into consideration if I'm even going to be able to approach what an idea of normalcy for a black child is supposed to be. I probably need to take a breath so you can say something right now, man. Go ahead on. Sorry about that. <laughs> a little bit excited oh, nice. about this. No, no need to apologize. Uh, last week, um, in, you made a – I hope you don't mind me making reference to last week's show. Um, but you mentioned, you talked about uh, inborn behaviors, uh, unfinished business, stuff like that. I think you, you kind of hinted at it a, a little while ago. Uh, 
um, talking about your parents and uh, our parents before them, and you know the lineage of uh, of our family. Like they weren't, um, they didn't have it all figured out, pretty much. But I remember you you broke down or you talked about the um, foundations of of issues, I guess, and when when coming to speak with somebody um, about bringing wellness to, to oneself, you know, and, um, you were talking about um, patterns of behavior. Oh, patterns of behavior. Sorry about that. I'm trying to look over my notes and not really flick the pages too because I know you guys can hear me. But um, patterns of behavior and difference in our behaviors, of course, because of compared to the Eurocentric models and things like that. Everybody's different. Everybody has different experiences and things like that. Um, and it's these patterns of behavior that I think you, you, you said the history of me, which brings the history of each individual. Um, and I really understood that or putting that into um, this whole discussion and, and getting treatment as somebody who was not European or not Eurocentric or not Caucasian, Caucasian or whatever, um, that that's always the formula. And um, and even looking at finding wellness um, from a, what was that, uh, um, when talking about psych, psychology, we, we, you talked about the, the spirit and soul of something. And, you know, looking at the whole uh, uh, comparison of inborn behavior versus uh, learning behaviors um, and just how these things are different and what makes us all different. But unfortunately, these things that are different aren't identif- are not identified in order to help us. So not only do we have physical ailments, but you were touching on getting um, treatment and finding wellness from the spirit and for the soul. Um, again, as you mentioned, unfinished business. This is just um <laughs> yeah, let me let me try to let me try to uh smooth over the bumps a little bit because you know like you, you were speaking in bits and parts of a lot of things that were covered, but not necessarily in that sequence you know and um so if I can recap the recap um, m- most people who come into treatment, let's say for substance abuse, when they come in first let me use this per- first point. When a person comes into treatment for substance abuse, they're looked at from the point they come into treatment. Let's say, you know, let's let's say that you're 40 years old, and that's when you first show up in treatment. Then the first workup is going that's going to be done is that we're looking for patterns of behavior. We're going to start looking in your biography. We're going to take a look at you from the point you came into treatment, and we're going to go from the point you came into treatment all the way back to the day you were born. And along the way, we're going to try to uncover particular patterns of behavior that will help us assess where you are and based on where you are, what you need to help you function in a healthy form in, 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 in society. So when I start with you as a 40-year-old, the first thing I need to know is what your values are at 40. How are you living? You know, uh, what's going on? You know, do you have, you know, you have, is your family intact? Are you a father? You know, are, are are you you know divorced? Are you you know are you um, 
a man with children but no wife. You know, did you ever, you know, did you ever marry your child, your ch- your children or your child's mother? You know, that's that's. Do you have a job? Do you have any other issues um, physically? You know, do you have any other issues? You know, physiologically. You know, when was the last time you had a physical? Have you ever had a physical? You know, have you ever, you know, had any diagnosis of any mental disorders in in you or in your family? You know, we're going to do that first thing, and then we're going to start working backwards from there. You know, can you kind of get the picture of where I'm heading? So we're going to start looking back as what was life like? How did you meet your, you know, your children's mother? You know, how old are your children? What problems do they have? Do they have any problems? Do you drink? How much do you drink? Do you use other drugs? You know, now, right away, if you're feeling where I'm coming from, Will, right away there's an assumption. The assumption is that the therapist has already gained the trust of the client. So everything that comes out of the client's mouth is going to be true because the client wouldn't dare lie to the therapist because the client knows the therapist has the client's best interests in mind. Now, is that a supreme idiocy or is it not? If I come to you and I've been living out here in the drug world, I've only survived because I've learned how to manipulate life because my reality is a lie. That's how I survive. So I'm going to serve up whatever you want to hear just so I can get whatever you have to offer. I'm going to say the things that I need to say because I know you ain't never heard these things before. And you don't have any way of comparing what I'm saying with anything you've learned out of a book. So already we've established a a rapport of dishonesty. But the problem is what I don't recognize as a client is that you as a therapist have the power of the pen. So everything I'm telling you, you're writing down. And your method of care is going to be based on the things I'm telling you. So what I don't know as a client, because I just have in mind, I just want that thing you have to offer, whatever that thing is, a prescription, a place to live, you know, um, uh, um, uh, 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 what do you call that that card that gives you food that, what is that thing called now? Um, the government used to be, uh, Yeah, but it used to be a link card. Stamps. You know, get that link card or food stamps, whatever it is. You know, you have food stamps, link card, you know. But what I don't know as a client, because that's what, that's what my law of survival is. Just get the things I need from you to survive, not succeed. That's, that's your goofy thinking that you're going to give me some, some treatment that's going to help me be successful. My success is getting from you what I want. But what I don't know as a client that I'm telling you what you're writing down that's going to assess your treatment, and therefore it's going to be what I'm going to be required to do to jump through these hoops you know, what I don't know is that if I serve up bullshit, that's what you're going to treatment plan. You're going to treatment plan bullshit. So all I am is a client in your mind. You think I'm being honest, but really all you've assessed is bullshit. So all I am is bullshit. But because I'm a therapist, I'm thinking now I'm normalizing you. So what's going to happen to the next client that comes in? You know, now the therapist is going to have research of bullshit. So pretty soon, the therapist is going to think, oh, I got the patterns figured out about how these black male 40-year-olds show up. These issues that they have, yeah, this is what they need. This, you know, so you don't know anything other than what you think is the real person. It's just bullshit. You know, and thus is the problem with modern treatment. It doesn't even know 
that all it does is serve up bullshit that it thinks is normal. It thinks it's a reward. It thinks it's a true assessment of the value system of this black 40-year-old male client and all that come in behind them. So we, so it doesn't even do, it doesn't even do any good as I go back further and I start uncovering things about your parents, what your dad was like, what your mom was like, you know, forget, you know, any react, like now I'm, 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 I'm slowly venturing into my own patterns, right? Because I think, you know, I went into treatment when I was 35 and believe me, my first few days in treatment, I couldn't believe I was 35. I was like, wait, wait, what happened to my career? playing baseball, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm 35, I'm already retired. What, what happened to those 10 years? I had no idea, you know, that that part of my life had in a sense of reality already passed me by because I wasn't functioning in a reality. I was functioning in a schizophrenic dream that suggested I could just live off of the potential that others suggested about me. So anyway, you don't know nothing about my father other than what I tell you. So if I tell you I didn't know my father, you're just going to assume, okay, then, you know, his mother was a single parent. But you're not going to know that my brothers did know my father, that while they were growing up, he was in the home. It wasn't until Mm -hmm. I came along that my father disappeared. So, you know, that part of it never came out, because why even tell you all that? That ain't got nothing to do with, you know, what I need you to give me. You know, so you don't even get that piece of it. You know, you don't even understand the sibling rivalry that went in on my, in my family. So you don't understand what the what the firstborn, the middle child, and 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 the youngest. You don't even know what those things are like within the black family because you're still operating in this Eurocentric model. You know, of of family. You know, uh, John Bradshaw did an extensive study of family, and he broke down. You know, the behaviors of uh, the father, the mother, and, and the children, and the functional as compared to a dysfunctional family system. Claudia Black did a lot of work on this. Susan Wegscheider. Many, uh, Virginia Satir was probably the first person to do these, um, these particular studies. But none of them had black folks in mind. So, we, so modern uh, therapy still doesn't have a clear understanding of what normalcy is within the black family system. And I'm just talking about this one 40-year-old dude who came into treatment and just started serving up this crap, you know, that wasn't crap to him. It was what was necessary in order for him to get what you have to offer in order for him to survive yet another day. See, that's, 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 that's what the ceiling of minority is, survival. Because success is something a minority cannot attain on the same level as a majority. You know, the, just the, 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 the chase system will not allow that. You know, it, it, it's always going to be that kind of invisible barrier, you know, that suggests by you being of this status, you can never expect to achieve what I have already done because I'm dictating what that value system is. You know, and you have to respond accordingly. You know, so the pattern's going all the way back as we finally work through it, even though these, these parallel... You know, like an example, no one has ever asked me, ever, you know, uh, no, no, I should say nobody ever did ask me, ever, you know, in any of my time in therapy or counseling or whatever anybody wants to call it, you know, nobody ever asked me, I mean, people ask me, you know, 
father black, mother black, I would say, yeah. But nobody ever asked me, I guess because no one would think to ask me, you know, what did my birth certificate say, right? Because my birth certificate said my mother's white, you know, and my father's black. But it said my mother's white, but it gave my mother's name, Ramona. So how could that be that my black mother is called white on my birth certificate? A typo? No, it wasn't a typo. That's a that's an official document based on what it shared at the time of birth, you know. So there had to be some other kind of skullduggery going on, you know. But um, that in itself, you know, man, that's just for me talking about it as somebody free. What is it like for somebody who's a slave that doesn't even know his or her last name? Forget first name. Doesn't even know his or her last name, more or less what the names of his mother or her father is, you know, just born in the servitude to suggest this is all you are, this is all you're going to be. But this person has children, and these children grow up to have children. And the story's fragmented and, 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 and distorted and confused over just two or three generations because we're only talking about a, 160 years, right? So I'm 73. You subtract 73 from 160, or let's make it easy. Subtract 70 from 160, you come up with 90, right? So just looking 90 years into my past, I was born in 1947. So if you just look 90 years into my past, you come up with 1837 or 1857. You know, what was going on in America in 1857? That's the foundation of the generations, you know, just three generations removed from the year I was born, and that's the value systems that went into who I was when I was born. So 1857 to 1947, there was a whole lot of stuff going on in America at that time. That's what my parents, that's what my ancestors of just three generations removed were exposed to. I would venture to say there was some damage done there, and I would venture to say that just somebody signing an emancipation proclamation didn't fix all that. I'm not convinced that you go from slavery to freedom healthy. I would assume there's some wounds that you bring with you. What do you think, man? Yeah. Yeah. Help, help a, can you help a brother out? No, I, you, I know you, no, I, I, <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I, like you said, it's a lot of unfinished business for us to get to. Yeah, um, a curious lady has left, but before she left, she asked a question. So from what you were saying, should a person go into treatment? <laughs> well, you know, why would a person go into treatment? Because they need help, or they've been convinced they need help, or there's something there that they want that their idea of help is being provided. Nobody goes into treatment unless treatment has something to offer them. You know, so it's not so much of whether a person should go into treatment as much as what kind of treatment is a person getting. You know, be, be, I mean, like, I ain't going to go to a, 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 um, a surgeon to remove my tooth. You know, I'm going to go to a dentist. And I ain't going to go to a dentist, you know, to remove an abscess. You know, and, and, and I'm not going to go to an herbalist, you know, to um to to cure my cancer. Well, I might go for my cancer, but I'm not going to go to an herbalist to, to to cure my um 
arthritis in my knee. Well, I might go to an herbalist to cure my arthritis. So obviously I might go to an herbalist for things I wouldn't go to anybody else for. Lousy example. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the, the point being, I need to be clear about what kind of treatment it is that I seek. Yeah, a person should go to treatment, but I need to be clear about the treatment. If it's substance abuse, I know what my substance abuse has done to me. You know, that doesn't guarantee that I'm going into treatment because I therefore assume you can help me. Just as many people have gone into treatment to get off the street, just as many people have gone into treatment just to get three hots in a cot, you know, just as many people have gone to treatment just for some roof over their head or some protection or some legal drugs. You know, I mean, like I worked at a, oh man, I worked at a, um, at a, at a managed care uh, detox. You know, I lasted for, I think, four months in that hospital-based program that was run by not the hospital, but managed care. And it was a detox for um, opioid abusers. So, um, and I say opioid, I'm, I mean things like heroin or, 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 or um, crack cocaine or, or, you know, whatever those abuse street drugs were. You know, and, and the way it was designed is that these folks could just, you know, come in, all that, they would just call in, they would get an appointment to come in, and my job was just to literally sign them up for detox. And, and, and it was a swinging door. They would just come in, you know, I would sign them up, they would go over to the hospital, they'd be admitted. Now, why were they doing that? And then the laws changed, so they couldn't come every month. They had to come, they had to at least have three months, you know, of separate time. So in three months, you know, it got to be a pattern where you already, in four months, I got to know some of the people just by looking at their um, charts, saying, well, it's about time for this person to call, about time for their per- this person to call because three months is up, and they'd call like clockwork. They'd come in because they know that they already got the free pass to come in. The program was designed that, they, you know, they were living off of um, um, Medicare or whatever their method of uh, Medicaid or Medicare. So, and, and the managed care would just build a state, you know, so it had nothing to do with, and I was told right, right off the bat, no, no counseling. You know, all you do is assessment. You do not sit and counsel these folks. You just assess them, assess them and, and, and move them on through, you know, and, and so these folks are coming in to get what detox had to offer. And for most of them, it was just to stabilize them so they could get back into drug shape. You know, that, that was all it was about, you know, and, and, and they were always polite. They knew how to behave. They knew what survival was all about. But even that, oh, my God, even that is like just a, a, a vault of research waiting to be discovered. And you had all the demographics that you needed. You know, didn't even need to sit and counsel the person, just do what so many other um, um, theorists did. Just study the paperwork. You know, many theorists never saw a client. They just studied their paperwork to come up with theories and approaches. So, yeah, yeah, a person should go to treatment. But know what you're going for, you know, and be real clear about that. You don't want to go in for one thing and come out with something missing. <laughs> and one flew over the cuckoo's nest, whatever. Do we need to take a break, man? I feel like I'm wearing you out here. Uh, no, man. How you, hold, I'm, I'm how you holding up? I, I, I'm yeah. all right. I'm I'm good. 
um, if if you want to take a break, we can. You know, give everybody a second. But uh, I mean, I'm with you. No. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm fine. I just didn't know if you needed to. I mean, I know we've been going like going like forty. You know. Um, anything you need to throw out there, man? I haven't given you much of a chance. I'm just, you know, I'm just again, man. I'm just ex- excited to be be back in the flow of things with you. Um, you know, it's it's quite a thing to, uh, you know, be here with you and the things we talk about all the time. And um, as your executive producer, you know, and and also as a fan and as your son, you know, it's all kind of cool things. So, no, but I just saying all that that I'm, I'm here with you. Um, I know we have a caller in the queue that press one. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. But before we before we get to the caller, and I just want to, uh, I wanted to ask you a quick question, and we can talk about this. Uh, we you don't have to answer it right now. Um, again, I'm looking at the description for today. You know, you were talking about Freud and Erickson. Mm-hmm. So I, I was yeah. just curious, you know, as to uh, knowing that how things are looked at from one way sometimes it's not applied to to us to African Americans to blacks and Negroes etc. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Why I'm curious as to why even Freud and Erickson. So like I said, so we don't, we, you know. So we have an idea mm-hmm. of of comparison. That's why. Otherwise, mm-hmm. there's there's a suggestion that we're just a random process that just just evolves however it, however random process dictates. It's a matter of just like understanding, you know, whatever, almost all of us were introduced first to the God of somebody else's understanding. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that didn't necessarily dictate that would be the God that would follow me. But even if I chose another form of, of, of belief, I was still going to be influenced by the original concept or the original part, that's what I was going to, you know, everything else I would do would first be based on what I was first introduced to, whether I agree or disagree or other things come along. So if I look, if if I'm looking at from a therapeutic point of view, don't forget that now, we're talking about, you know, um, we're talking about the psychology of healing. So last week we, we, we broke down an understanding of psychology. You know, ology is the study of. And in this case, psycho, in a Eurocentric model, based on a Freudian um, example, would be the study of the mind. But as we dig deeper and deeper into the understanding of the root word of, of psycho, it, it shifts. It starts meaning heart or breath or soul of a thing. So am I researching this brother looking at his mind or am I studying this brother looking at his soul? You know, and yeah. so if I'm going in the treatment, I need to ask myself, are these folks just going to be analyzing my mind or are they going to be investing time to study my soul? Those are two different, completely different clients. So, but I need to understand what their model is so I'll understand what I want and what I don't want. Otherwise, I'm just going to take what they give me. So when I study Freud, I understand what the foundations of psychoanalysis are based on because he's the one to synthesize all the different ideas that were floating around. But many after him took his initial approaches and decided, yeah, well, okay, that's a good foundation, but it's not thorough enough. So where Freud's model was based on psychosexual development, 
you know, Erickson came along and came up with the psychosocial form of development. But the question for me as a black 40-year-old man remains the same. Do I develop sexually like, you know, my white counterparts? Do I develop socially like my white counterparts? Or is my experience different than my white counterparts based on the research available? Sure, white people don't all develop the same way, but they have a model that helps the assessment to determine right. what's there and what isn't there, what's normal, what isn't normal. But even that brings us to a question. What's normal for, you know, the black psyche? You know, the, the general definition of normal is, you know, it's used to describe an individual behavior that conforms to the most common behavior of society. So that's normal in America. You know, the individual behavior as compared to what the most common behavior is in American society. Now, do I as a black man get to dictate common behavior, or am I as a black man evaluated by what the dominant culture says is um, the accepted or the, or the um, common form of behavior? There ain't nothing about me that goes into that assessment that calls it common. Everything that's common is not based on anything about me. It's based on a Eurocentric model. You know, right. so whatever, wherever I fail, I fail in two ways. I don't measure up to what's common, but I also fail in being able to be accurately assessed. Now, just think about that for a second. Normal doesn't include me based on this definition of, of common behavior in American society. All it does is judge me by that. And the judgment is always the same because the values aren't consistent. I'm never going to measure up to something that doesn't include me in its study. And I don't care what anybody says. No one can argue the point. How are you going to know who I am psychologically if you've never studied who I've become? You know, and where did I start? Well, all we got to do is look back about 500 years. You know, an African-American developed in America was born from servitude. So I don't have to, I, 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 you know, like I can go to Africa to find, you know, an extension of ancestry, but the immediate ancestry is found right here on, in this soil. This is where Americans of African descent came to be. All research needs to do is look at what has it been like for 500 years? You know, what has the, what has the psychosexual stages of development been for an African converted into slavery been like for an African-American over the last 500 years? Well, do you think we were abused sexually? You know, do you think the, the men were uh, um, forced to perform sexually? Do you think the, the women had, you know, no, no control over, you know, how, you know, um, they were bred? you know, to um, give birth to, you know, these offspring? Do, do you think that that, you know, do you think Africans were just made that way and had no feelings? You know, that that's just how they lived? They just always, they were just, you know, just, un just savage beasts that just procreated for the hell of it and had no ties to each other's families and no bloodlines or nothing. They were just wild beasts? Of course not. But that's how they seem to be developed here in America, you know, to be conditioned for servitude required all allegiances, 
you know, be severed. You know, and it was done, you know, it was done with the skill of a surgeon's scalpel. You know, and so what was put back together is what we're dealing with now. You know, just 160 years since emancipation. And I would venture to say that little parchment, you know, signed by the president did not fix the issues of the people born in the servitude. In fact, it, it didn't even outline what those issues would be. It somehow suggested 40 acres and a mule was going to fix everything and didn't even get that. Oh, man. So I don't know if I even came close to answering your question, but it helps to understand Freud. Like, you know, just looking real quick at him. I mean, like, first of all, when was my man born? You know, Freud was born in the mid-1800s, and he died in, like, 1930, I think it was, or somewhere around there. You know, he only came to America once, and you think in the time he was here, he spent that time researching African-Americans? You know, no, chances are he didn't. So everything, and plus everything about his model was based on Victorian values. They were some freaky people. <laughs> anyway, that's another story for another time. You know, um, but so the, the study is even limited, but that's so many others began to expand on those methods of care. Erickson is an American psychiatrist, you know, but what was, you know, what was his take on the issues of psychosocial development from an Afrocentric perspective? I don't know. And there's nothing I read from him that talked about it. Even Carl Rogers, who I thought was probably, you know, him and him and um, Abraham Maslow, two guys who I really admired from what they studied and what they offered. You know, I, I appreciated them more from what I saw the value of what their models could be if it was used from an Afrocentric perspective. What a wonderful model to build on. But it wasn't because that's how they studied it. It's because of how I interpreted it. You know, but that's, you know, that's on down the line of the chain of, um, of psychoanalysis and, and, and the approaches of humanistic psychology. See, it's not an easy thing, and maybe that's why we've been talking about it now for a few weeks. You know, even though this is part two of, of last week, still we've been talking about it since we first started cracking open the black family as a system, right? You know, this right. is, you know, this is something that, and just our little dialogue for a couple hours, one night a week. Well, you know, it's not an easy thing to synthesize into a quick, concise explanation of why we are the way we are. My point is, though, there is, there can be a methodology, a method of study that can reveal why we are the way we are, you know, it's been done for them by them, so it could be done, you know, for us by them, or it could be done for us by us, but it could be done, you know, if we're willing to say this is something that requires its own study, you know, and not the, the, the shortcut of, well, that's no different. You know, yeah, okay, my values may not be any different than white America, but I want a comparative study to prove that. I already know what the values of white America is. I've lived under those values for 73 years. Nobody can tell me better than me what that's like. I love Ralph Ellison's quote in Invisible Man. It is often advantageous to be invisible, although it can be rather wearing on the nerves. And any brother knows what I'm talking about when I say that. You know, yeah, sometimes it's cool to go unnoticed. But sometimes, man, it, it can get a rise out of you when you're being unnoticed at a time when you want to be noticed. You know, I mean, 
think about all the struggles of civil rights throughout the history. That's what it's been about. You know, it's, it's wore out my nerves being ignored by you. I ain't going to be ignored any longer. Athletes have done it in sports, you know, um, and, and, and major stalwarts of civil rights have done it as well. You know, that's why so many achievements by black folks stand out so much. Because it's like, how could you, through all this adversity, not just achieve, but achieve in such an unmeasurable way? How, did, how could you do that? What makes a Jackie Robinson a Jackie Robinson? What makes a Thurgood Marshall a Thurgood Marshall? What makes a, 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 a Willie Mays a Willie Mays? What makes a Chadwick Bostick Bozeman a Chadwick Bozeman? You know, what makes a Will Green a Will Green? You know, man. All right. You want to bring in the caller now? <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and bring in our callers then. Uh, okay. Here in the queue. And uh, thank you for calling in. How are you doing tonight? Good evening. I'm all right. I'm all right. This is uh, Inger, Sobi, Soex, as Uncle Bill called yeah, man. Can you hear me? What's up, folks? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you fine. 4X. That's my man. 4X. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> How you doing, man? I've been enjoying the uh, the call. Um, I jumped in probably about 20 minutes ago, a little less or something like that. I got in late. But, uh, oh, outstanding. Welcome, I just man. wanted Welcome. to say that, uh, well, I just wanted to say that, yeah, that was a uh, very, uh, one thing I wanted to say about what I heard you say was that, you know, you, when you go into, I guess, quote unquote, treatment, knowing, you know, having your mind set up and knowing what you're going for, when you, what you want to get treated, and it was kind of interesting. It wasn't kind of interesting. It was interesting to, to see that, you know, it's all type of reasons why people go to get treatment, and and, yeah. and it ain't always to, to get cured. <laughs> you're right. You're uh, right. Amen. So that was interesting in itself. So that made me kind of think about. You know myself, and have I done that? Have I been conditioned uh, to try to get some relief instead of, you know, a total cure? Um, you know, what am I trying to get out of what I'm, you know, I'm going in? And a lot of times, you know, you got to make that clear to the to the person that you're going to get treatment from. You know, yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. was very important. Yeah. That was, I never thought about it like that. Um, yeah, but as a uh, I got one question, um, both of y'all, if y'all can answer that. I was thinking about conditioning and what it does. You know, I was thinking about what if a black man, you know, born in America, and he just never hears about his history, right, um, of his people, and he just goes through life, you know, just goes through life, lives life, live a a hundred years, Mm -hmm. and he never knew that he never knew about systemic racism. He never knew of the struggle. He just he just thought that all the things that happened to him was just just life, you know, uh just normal so to speak. And so and he doesn't feel any pain, um or, you know, and what I mean by pain is like he doesn't feel like he has to work twice as hard as his white counterpart or he doesn't understand that he could have had a hundred thousand more dollars because he was 
he was because he was black, he had a hundred thousand less over his lifetime, or a million less, or whatever it is. He doesn't know about all those deficits, right? So, if you look through the, I was thinking when you was talking, like it doesn't hurt him. He don't feel it as he doesn't feel it like all he feels is the work that he did or the struggles that he had to go through. But he doesn't know why he was struggling. It's kind of like the story about. You know, if you if a tree falls in the woods, do you hear it? Does it make a sound? You know, there's nobody there to hear it. So right. I'm, I'm looking at this conditioning. It's almost like that, where you're so conditioned that, you know, even you're conditioned that even if you don't, if you hear the truth, you won't even agree with it. You, <laughs> I think I've been like that before. Like, man, it ain't because of slavery, man. Slavery's a long time ago. Man, yeah. we just, yeah. you know, you got to keep That's on right. working. And I was like that for a long time. Like, yeah. I hear you. I, I didn't understand the effects that it had. So, you know, it's like, you know, and that's how our white counterparts look at it sometimes. Like, man, that slavery was a long time ago, man. You're doing a good job now, man. Just, you know, just keep on going, you know. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that was my, uh, what it, my question is, conditioning. How do you break that? that conditioning um of the mind of the body just the whole the whole um making the uh your oppressor your your god so to speak you know kind of have that stockholm syndrome you know having that yeah. not saying that you got to mm-hmm. hate them but mm-hmm. you, i think y'all get what i'm saying <laughs> yeah well <laughs> How did I know you was going to say? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, that's, a good thing about being a, that's a good thing about being the father. You can call on the son, huh? Yeah, that's right, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 you know, I just said I was quicker to the trigger than he was. You know, it's like a family feud thing. I hit the button first. <laughs> That's, well, that's how right. I get, that's how I, that's how I get caught up over here on the mic because I got my ear like I'm listening and I forget that I'm cold. <laughs> right. You know. Uh, well, we, we, you go ahead. Yeah. Man. No, I, I was I was gonna I was it was interesting. I was thinking about that's kind of like the premise of Black Republicans, <laughs> a couple of them anyway. Just mm. you know. All right. I'm good. just gonna. I'm gonna, you know, earn my keep, and and this is what it is. And they might say that racism exists, right? But they're not going to acknowledge it. I think sometimes it's like, uh, you know, like uh, we don't go to the we. And I'm generalizing, right? Like we don't go to the doctor if we don't think about it, then it'd be okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna will it to leave me. You know, all this unnecessary stuff that. You know, so it's like I'm just going to believe that racism doesn't exist, and therefore it doesn't exist, and I'm just going to earn my keep. Um, but I mean, how do you? Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a that's a, a great question. I don't know how you really change that conditioning, um, because well, well first, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, go ahead, go ahead. Well, well, you know, first of all. What we have to understand, if we're talking about it from a psychoanalytic point of view and not just a sitting in the barbershop point of view, you know, that a conditioned response is a defense mechanism. You know, it's, it's, 
and defense mechanisms are not bad. They're, they're designed to protect the ego from harm, you know, of whatever the perceived harm may be. So a conditioned response, you know, when you're operating in a society that has invisibilized you, it's, it's kind of healthy, you know, um, for the ego. At least it, it gives some form of acceptable, you know, behavior. But then, of course, we're talking about functional schizophrenia again. So if I look at a, at, at a, at a brother like a Tim Scott, I'm going to pick on him for a second, and, you know, and he can be the spearhead of the, you know, a brother, and he can be the spearhead of the Republican National Convention. You know, they're going to put him up there first, and he's the first things out of his mouth, he's going to talk about, you know, that he doesn't believe in what we used to call institutional racism that they call systemic now. And he's going to justify it by talking about how he was raised. But what the brother doesn't understand is that as he's explaining how he's raised, he's also explaining his conditioning. It's the way he was raised that conditioned him to, in fact, join a party that in his mind is one that provides for him not just an adequate but a successful and visible existence, you know, that he can justify by, his, by the fact of him being approved of and accepted. He can do it. Ben Carson can do it. Clarence Thomas can do it. Those two sisters out of Atlanta that run around in their bling and, and their long fingernails can do it. I mean, it, but is that normal from a society perspective or is it normal from a white society perspective that they can do it? We don't have the option of being able to weigh it that way. We only have normalcy defined based on on. on on the, on the simple idea of who's in charge and who's in charge gets to say, you know, um, what's normal, you know, based on how this particular society that we live in dictates it. So if normal is used to describe individual behavior that conforms to the most common behavior in society, and if we have a two-party system, Democrat and Republican, then normal says, hey, this brother got a right to join the Republican Party. He shouldn't have to be, you know, confined to the Democratic Party. Fine. Let's hear how he justifies it. And he justifies it by saying how he was born, that that gave him permission to choose between the two. All right. But does that also require then that you deny systemic racism? Well, yeah, I have to, because I would be crazy to say it exists, and I'm going to join a party that enforces it. So, of course, I got to yeah. say, based on how I was raised, it, it, it doesn't exist. And so now, we, now we're in a dichotomy. Now, just because of that, we don't even get to say inclusively, you know, that, yep, there sure is systemic racism. Because we got a Tim Scott or Adam West or Clarence Thomas or right on Ben Carson. We got all them, uh, Kanye West. We got all them to say, no, see, they prove it isn't. You know, and so there we are. And yeah. the argument then of conditioning is individually chosen. You know, it, it, it's that mm. conditioned response that says, this is the identity that I have, you know, strategically developed for myself that shields, in my perspective, shields me from any harm of society. I can be this particular person. And I can be deemed normal by taking on this particular identity, and it also allows me to deny the obvious 
because the obvious in this case by my own representation suggests that it is in fact a lie. And we're going to argue now the lie between black folks and that lets white folks off the hook. And that's the whole point of it. You know, so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to have to come to grips with what normalcy is from a black perspective. I don't yeah. even know if it can oh, yeah. be defined. Yeah. You know? I, don't even, I don't even know, you know, I don't even know where the beginning I of think the I'm, conversation starts, man. Go ahead. Well, I was, uh, I was thinking that, uh, you know, that I'm starting to kind of break that conditioning, that mindset of seeing, um, you know, um, trying to live like these things are not happening, like I'm not being affected by what happened, you know, 400 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. um, right? Yeah, it yeah, feels good right. to be able to talk about it, and the truth feels good, no matter if it, if the truth was ugly. You know, us being you know raped and Amen. killed, and beat, but it's, it feels good to know. It feels good, you know, to be able to talk about it and and look at the conditioning and being like, hey, you know, this ain't right. You know, break this mold of, you know. Um, you know, of, of kind of having that Stockholm syndrome, so to speak, you know, praising, you know, I don't hate, you know, I don't hate anybody, but I hate that, that evil, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. They're still yeah, being, yeah. they're still actually being uh, supported, you know, like, you know, they'll say, and I, I'm going to say it like this, there are people, you know, you know, that was my grandfather, that was my great grandfather, that was my ancestor that had slaves, you know, that wasn't me. But you're still supporting the 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 way of how they treated us. They still their system is still in in play. You still, you know, they pass the baton and you're still running the the other 400 meters. You know, <laughs> you know, you still yeah. you're on the same team. You know, you still got the same concepts, and constructs, and stuff like that. And, and and for them not to be able to realize that kind of frustrates me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Doesn't kind of it pisses me off. Uh, yeah, that that you yeah. you don't know that these uh, these very rules that you govern by um, through statistics, you know, that you love, you still yeah. deny. Right, right. Uh, you don't do nothing about the, the statistics of you know um, of what you know the systemic racism and and blame our slavery has done. So you know that's. Uh, you know, just the awakening up, knowing that uh, I've been conditioned and to to work hard. You know, I I feel you know I wake up every morning going to work and and I start to feel it. I'm like man, why I got to work so much harder than this next person? <laughs> you know, this is my white yeah. counterpart over here. Why why yeah. why he ain't got to sweat and I got to sweat? You know, <laughs> and and that you know why I'm worried about my job, he ain't worried about his. You know, and, uh, and you're asking you're asking the question internally that we haven't even begun to figure out how to ask how to have that discussion all inclusively. You know what what you know what, what what is it? You know, like I'm still waiting for just one study, one form of study to just materialize. I'm, I'm not talking about something to be studied on the sidelines at some dark corner of the Harvard Mental Health um, Program. I'm talking about something that that is broadcast as, as widely as other things are you know and i just want a, a, a an, a, an inclusive um well an exclusive study done on the question of what is it like to be a black man 
in America. In America. Yeah. That's all. You know, just and, and just study the responses to that. Nothing else. No no you know, just Whatever the perspective of the answer to the question is, you know, no, no, no gauge about what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what's healthy, what's not healthy, you know, trying to create a gauge of normal for a black man, you know, what it's like for a black man, you know, to be in America and then determine based on all the collective data, then let's see what normal is for a black man. I bet yeah. a dollar to a donut, and I love my donuts. I bet it's going to be a little bit different than his white male counterpart. You know? Yeah, because I look at the police, right? I'm just going to use them. I'm not going to talk about uh, any right beatings on. or killings or anything like yeah, that, right? Right. right I'm just going right to say on. the police motto uh, is to protect and serve, right? That's that's what it's yeah. supposed to be for, right? Yep. But when I see them, I don't see that. Yep. I see. I want to get away from them as far as possible. You know, that's a black man in America. Yeah, and somebody might say, is that because of, I'm not saying this is you, I'm just saying, you know, somebody might say, oh, that's because you had a a bad, no, I I didn't have a bad run-in. It's how I feel based on my perception of how I have heard and seen it done. You know, it's not like I just woke up one day with this issue about the police. No, I've been conditioned to fear them. You know, I've been conditioned mm-hmm. to, be a, to, to, to be cautious around them. I've been conditioned to doubt their fairness of pulling me over. You know, I mean, I've been conditioned for that. Well, what condition you? Duh. <laughs> Society. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what conditioned yeah. me. And it, and it, and it's the very and reason it, why they, yeah. Yeah, and its main point and its main purpose of that conditioning was to make me subservient. You know, that's why they were created. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know. So just that, just you know, being able to just, just being able to just use that. What's it like to be a black man in America? And I'm saying black man. I ain't saying black. What it's like to be in a black man? Just that one particular study. You know, and all responses. You know, what you just said. Well, all of them go into the database. You know, not just the dude who got you know got 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 rousted about and, and and beat up in the basement of the police station. You know, not just the dude who got snatched off the, the stool at, in a sit-in during civil rights, not just the cat who got yeah. holes down, walking the line, you know. No, just the perception of what I fear and what it's based on. Just that alone has its place in this kind of research. You know, a brother doesn't have to be beat by the police to, to question the authenticity of the police. Are they really here to protect and serve me? Hey, Amen. You know, mm, I would love to yeah. see a hundred answers to that question by black brothers. I sure would. Yes yeah. or no? That's all I'm saying. A hundred black men ask this question. Yes or no? Are the police here to protect and serve you? Yes or no? Nothing else. Yes, a hundred brothers. I would love to see what how that pool, how that pool came out. Yeah, man. That's what I'm talking about. And, you know, and I think the answer would be non-white would be, you know, uh, what have they done to you? And that's what they try to ask. What have they done to you? That that would be a fair next question. That's okay. Yeah, Yeah. that's a fair next question. Yeah. And then when I see myself, but, you know, and when I see my, well, how do you feel like that? Well, when I see myself as another, my brother as me, as myself, you know, (laughs) I have that, uh, yeah. what you call it, empathy, 
you know, at that yeah. point, you know, um, to feel like that if you do him like that, you'll do me like that. We look alike, you know. <laughs> yeah, I got you. You know, I would, I would, you know, like I, I just saw a quick. Uh, I have the news on, but I just have it turned down, you know. Um, and I just saw a quick hit of the Mount Rushmore, you know. Now Washington, Roosevelt, Washington, Jefferson, and Roosevelt, and Lincoln, right? But you got the three dudes on one side, all kind of connected. Then it's this big gap, and there's Lincoln standing separate and apart. Was that an, an accident? You know, or was there a message there? You know, why are these three over here lined up together, Washington, Jefferson, and, and Roosevelt, and Lincoln standing alone? And if, if that question ain't confusing, how come Lincoln is on the smallest coin there is, the penny, and he faces an opposite direction of all the other dudes and the other coins? What's that all about? Wow. You know, and then the other coin is a different color. Yeah, and the coins are different. Yeah. There's conditions. Oh, wow. Yeah, and only in Illinois can you even use the penny in the, in the, in the uh, toll booths. Why is that? Because Lincoln's from <laughs> not Illinois. Not anymore. You know? <laughs> oh, not anymore even. You know, so there's the oh, kind wow. of conditioning that just goes on that, you know, the, the, these different oh, kinds of surveys. Yeah, man, just – Bringing awareness to like conditioning that happens that man we don't See, even. Right there, you the reason yeah. why we having all this uproar uh, from black folks. <laughs> Because you, you waking people easy. up. See, because you see, <laughs> they gonna they gonna say Bill Green. These people were perfectly fine until you said something. No, that's that's You're the one that came on the show asking these questions. What is condition? You're the one that's stirring the pot. Yeah, you're blaming me. So, yeah, the y'all make sure you These slaves are okay with their life until until Foex yeah. showed up. And we were doing fine with our discussion until you threw that question out there. So, no, man, make sure y'all got the uh, ain't got. Make sure you got the right person in your target now. Don't be aiming at me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know, but this, you know, but we don't, but you know, America is such a sensitive society when it comes to the <laughs> questions and the issues of of color. You know, I mean, it, it, it's like every, America is conditioned to be, you know, overreactive to just the concept, just the word color. You know, just you know. Just saying white or just saying black, you know, more so than the rest, you know, because most of the rest of them aren't associated to color. They're associated with their own culture, their own race. You know, you don't say, you know, you say white, black, and then it's Hispanic or or or, or Arab or or or, or um, Mexican or or Jewish or 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 Asian, you know. But only in America, only in America, this color difference, this color differentiation shows up as black or white. All the rest of the cultures get to be who they are. We we kind of screwed up in this country because of that white black thing. You know, it it, it we, we don't say caucasian or european or african uh, or we say white black. That's the thing that gets it going right there. You know, this whole issue of white black, you know, and and thinking that there's nothing in between. Here's the struggle. How do we begin to defuse our sensitivities of using these terminologies to explain a whole people who most of us don't know nothing about. You know, 
most of us don't even have that dialogue of differences to learn anything, that the battle lines are clearly drawn. You know, and no clearer battleground battle line as far as I'm concerned that's drawn than the one that separates the majority from the minority. You know, man, that's just that's just mean. That's all that is. Yeah. Well, folks, we got to get ready to wrap up, appreciate man. It. I sure appreciate you calling again, man. You yeah. know, it's always, no problem, it's always you know, first thing we'll talk about was you, man, when we reviewed the show from last week, man. So thank you so hey, much for calling in, bro. Oh, sure, uh, man. I appreciate it, man. I'm learning a lot, man. Um, uh, learn how to think deeper, man. Learn how to think deeper. Yeah. Yes, sir. Right on, and better. Man. Appreciate it. Right on. Thanks a lot, Will. Yep. All right, Wilfredo. Any uh, curious lady chimed in in the chat room said uh, Trump will be tweeting against Bill Green. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I saw that and all the rest of her, you know, all, all the rest of her <laughs> comments as well. Right on. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all right. I don't mind that at all. You know, one yeah, thing for sure, right. if if Trump uses my name, people will all of a sudden know who I am <laughs> or know right. who I was. <laughs> oh, no, no. You know, that, that, yeah, you know yeah, that's yeah. all right. Look here. If Trump, the way Trump goes after Obama, he's going to take out a minute to include me. I'll bet. That's good company there, man. I got no problem with that. That might even get me to vote. No, we ain't going to go that far. So any passing <laughs> words, thoughts, comments, or complaints, Will? Man, I can't believe this um, time went by so fast. Wow. You know, I'm going to do a little research and uh, study a little bit on Stockholm Syndrome um, and just cool, looking good, at that again. Good. Uh, you yeah, know, bring it next I know week. that it's uh, tomorrow. Talk yeah. about it tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Thursday, same mm-hmm. time on the greenhouse effect. Um, but I'm just just in in looking at it real quick, and I, like I said, I'll be studying on it for tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know that the, one of the questions is like, how do you change that, reverse that, and just right? I guess you know, it's it's a it's a form of survival. You know what I'm saying? And dealing with fear. You talked about fear, right? And dependency, mm-hmm. and I guess identifying some of that fear and identifying some of our individual coping mechanisms, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think is a good start. But yeah, I definitely will will we'll touch a little bit on that tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. So that was that was it. That that was all uh, that was all I had. And uh, it's a good it's good to be back again. You know, I really man, um, it's good to be here. Yeah, well, you 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 you've heard a million times, and I'm gonna make it a million and one. How good it is to have you back, man! It's like you were just gone for one show. It felt like you were gone for you know for a, a season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least two weeks, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Yeah. You know, I I wanna um, I just wanna. I'm sorry, Will. Were you gonna say something? No, no sir. Okay, I wanted to um, just give a look, Carl. Paul Reinhold Niebuhr. I talked a little bit about him last week, but I didn't give his full name. His full name is Carl Paul Reinhold Niebuhr. Now, that name may not, and he was born in 1892 and died in 1971. Just to give you a quick little background about Niebuhr. You know, he was an American Protestant theologian who had extensive influence on political thought and whose criticism of the prevailing theological liberalism of the 1920s significantly affected the intellectual climate within American Protestant uh, within American Protestant Protestantism 
Now, one book he wrote, The Nature and Destiny of Man, is, is rated as number 18 of the top 100 books, nonfiction, written in the 20th century. He also wrote another book, Moral Man and the Immoral Society, a study of ethics and politics. Now, none of that might mean anything, but I'm not quite done yet. You know, um, There's one thing that he's known for. Um, that we know him for, rather, you know, he's known for having written the serenity prayer, you know, and the serenity prayer that he wrote is is a little bit more deeply um, expressed than the short version. The short version is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's really the preamble of AA. In our AA meetings, we close just about every meeting with saying the serenity prayer, you know, and when you think about alcoholism, it would make sense that the serenity prayer would be our adopted preamble. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Of course, it's a great struggle that those who suffer from various uh, maladies of uh, addictive behavior have the greatest difficulty with, you know, um, having a, a, a degree of serenity is almost lost in any addictive behavior, you know. Courage, of course, the courage is found in the addictive behavior. You know, we'd rather, you know, um, overeat than, than deal with the issues of why I feel the need or the compulsion to eat in the first place, you know, uh, when I'm not even hungry. You know, we ain't going to talk about, you know, grogging or anything else, you know. And then wisdom, you know, is sacrifice anytime addictive behavior takes over, you know, and most people think, no, that's the one thing that's always there. Willpower. No, there is no willpower. You know, it, when, you, when you're lost in addictive behavior, will becomes won't. So it's won't power. You know, I will not because I don't know how to not do what I do. So when this dude wrote this incredible poem, it's really what I wanted to close with tonight. Um, we still got a couple minutes going. Uh, well, I guess we can close a little early, huh, Will? Oh, sorry Will? about that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I think we're doing good. Let's just yeah, keep it going. See how it goes. Okay. So anyway, I just wanted to you know I just wanted to give a little you know I just wanted to acknowledge my man and just read his original Serenity Prayer one more time, you know, and it says God, give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. So, you know, there's a lot of power behind, you know, something written like that. When you think about all of these, you know, uh, you can cut the music, man. It's all right. <laughs> we passed the moment. <laughs> You know, you think about you know all of the um, all of the the the, the 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 concrete books he wrote. 
you know, um, that deals with politics and ethics. And then he um, turns around and writes a serenity prayer like this. You know, it gives a little deeper meaning behind conviction. And also, again, you know, I'll never get tired of, of pushing this idea. The, the real value of putting, of taking pen and connecting it, connecting it with paper and writing out your thoughts. I just want to encourage everybody out there to just consider, you know, the value of translating your thoughts into words on paper. That reveals to the rest of the world just who you are, you know, and it tells the rest of the world what you're about. And that one, my favorite African proverb, if you don't know who you are, anybody can name you. You know, the one thing that you do is define who you are anytime you write yourself out on paper in whatever form it takes. You know, the one thing I really believe is that whatever somebody writes, I don't care what it is that they're writing about. If they're writing it, it's about them. You know, I don't care what the title is. I don't care what the theme is. I don't care, you know, what the, what the perspective is. If I'm writing it down, whatever my interpretation of it is, doesn't matter. That's who I am. Anytime I connect pen with, and thought with paper, you know, and that lasts forever. That does last through eternity. So anyway, um, Wilfredo, yep. last words, thoughts? You want to plug tomorrow at all? Uh, tomorrow night, uh, the greenhouse effect comes back uh, as well, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, uh, and then we might even look at just uh, combining the shows. I know you mentioned this last week, uh, maybe just looking at the yeah, Thursday. So. Yeah. You know, right on. A lot of, lot yeah, of things, you know. Yeah, not next week, though, but that is in the, in the future. Yeah, what Will is talking about is that we're going to shift Wednesday to Thursday and combine the two and um, just have the one night that we'll be doing it together. And um, Greenhouse Effect will. I am curious, though, uh, as far as those listeners tonight, you know, uh, I, I would be curious. I'm, I'm not going to speak for you, Dan, but. Um, for those that are that have been listening on Wednesday nights, so I'm just curious is how is Thursday? Um, but that's you know just to get some feedback from the listeners too, because you know I want everybody to you know come in. Well, together. that ain't gonna never happen. You know? Yeah, pre- please everybody and nobody's please. Please yourself and no at least you're pleased. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. and that ain't, that ain't you know. Every, that ain't, you know, it's never gone. Man, yeah. I used to do uh, workshops, and I used to give evalu- pass out evaluations at the end of the workshops, and mm-hmm. because I, you know, I trusted what you know people how they would evaluate what it was that they just spent money to listen to, and mm-hmm. I could get a hundred evaluations, and ninety nine of them come back, man, man, this is the best thing I ever been to, man. You know, where can I, where can I, where can I support you? Where can I give you some more money? Even if I don't come, I just want to give some. I could give all kind of evaluations like that. But if I got one out of that 100 that said, "Man, this program sucked," you know, then all of all the other 99 just goes right out of the window because I failed that one, you know. And that taught me that no matter no matter what you do, you know, it, it, it's never meant to please everybody, you know. It's always meant to feel like you achieved, you know, your purpose. And if, if some others happen to come along, right on. But it's am I performing for them or am I performing for me? You know, so 
I think, you know, like if you want to open it up like that, that's fine, you know, but I know where my heart is in that. And, and it's like working one show with you, you know, that's what I'm about. And I hope others would feel that the value of that convenience and convenience. Well, you know, we, we've never overwhelmed the, um, switchboard with people calling in anyway, you know, so, whether it's Monday, Thursday, or Wednesday, you know, so I, you know, uh, for convenience sake, I'm sure there's some who said, oh, yeah, Wednesday work better than me than Thursday. Well, how are you going to do it up there? You know, yeah. there's, there's yeah. been also people that we both had said, man, I can't wait till you start your show, man, yeah, ain't heard from them yet. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, but for me, you know, for me, the joy is, is is doing this with you, man. And you know, I I just like the James Brown theory. You know, whether it's five or five hundred, you know, you're gonna get the best of us. And I think that's what it's about. You know, so yeah, yeah, I I feel you though at the same time, and I I know you, you know, and I know that you would really appreciate getting that kind of feedback, and I can appreciate that, man. I guess I'm just gotten so old, I ain't got time for feedback. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like, man, you know, yes, but that's not fair to you. You got every right to get that, man. So maybe we could talk about that some more next week. Or maybe, yeah. you know, putting it out on Facebook or whatever and just, you know, putting something out there to get some folks to just respond, you know. Uh, but I'll, I'll leave Absolutely. that to you. <laughs> I'll help you in any way I can. <laughs> That's something for you and Paul to do. Leave the sun again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's something maybe you and Paul can put your hands together and come up with something. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's called, yes, uh, called volunteering somebody. You don't volunteer. Yeah, you got right. volunteered to yeah. do something. <laughs> yeah, volunteering. Yeah, volunteering. Right. I just heard what you said. I like that. Volunteering. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but um, uh, next week, what I want to, want to do next week is um, in, in, in Dysfunctional by Design, in the back of Dysfunctional by Design, there's a list of black inventors, all uh, 20th century black inventors. Um, I'm sorry, 19th century black inventors. And, you know, um, obviously they've come and gone, and their inventions are right next to their names. And there's quite a few. I mean, there's, there's more than what we can imagine. But um, anyway, I thought, let's bring a black inventor to light. So next week I want to bring uh, a guy on who invented an uh, apparatus to slip over uh, a, a regular gym shoe or, or, or uh, sneaker or whatever people call them today, that you can slip over it, you can slip it over the shoe and bowl in it. And he invented it. So I want to bring him in next week, you know, to talk about what it took, you know, the process of invention and everything involved, patent it, you know, patenting the device, trying to market it, you know, the relationships it had to develop between him and the people who helped him develop the fabric, you know, uh, where he's gone overseas to find those, you know, that he could find it, that could develop it in just the way he wanted it, and the whole package. So I want to try to bring him in next week just to talk about um, that experience of, of what it is to be a black inventor, you know, in America. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So one minute to go. Thank you all. Thank you, folks. Thank you, Curious Lady. And everyone, and, and, the, and the hundreds and thousands of you out there. <laughs> <laughs>
And tune in tomorrow night for the Greenhouse Effect. My son, Will Green, same time, yes, just sir. a different day, you know, seven to nine, you know, and I'll annoy him by calling in. You know, he's he's the single host. I'm not a co-host. You know, Will is, is, is caller friendly, though, man. He, you know, he, he lets you. He lets you get comfortable with talking. He don't cut you off. And, mm. You know, he, he, he lets you have a show. You know, he's gone. Just say what you need to say, you know. So, all right, y'all. All right. Fo, Will. All right. Okay. Thank you, Take Fo. Love you guys. Take care. All right. Love you, all too. Right. Take care. Good night, everybody. All right. No man, no weapon Formed against, yes, glory is destined Everyday women and men become legends Sins that go against our skin become blessings The movement is a rhythm to us Freedom is like religion to us Justice is juxtaposition in us Justice for all just ain't specific enough One son died, his spirit is revisiting us True and living, living in us Resistance is us That's why Rosa sat on the bus that's why we walk through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be out.